Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Uh, we'll be hearing God's Word this morning from Genesis chapter 40. Um, we're actually going to do, as you, if you see it there on the worship guide, we're going to do all of 40 and some of 41, because, you know, there were a couple long chapters in Genesis, so I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Uh, so I thought I'd, I'd combine two together because the 40 wasn't long enough, you know. Um, no, but really it's because this is the, the last 10 chapters of Genesis now return to the story of Joseph. Uh, if you know the story of Genesis or if you were here a couple weeks ago, Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, part of God's special family that God was going to use, that God was going to bless and use to bring blessing to the world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've been tracing the story of this family all through Genesis. And Jacob had 12 sons. They would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was Joseph. And it turned out that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, not necessarily good reasons, but, but reasons. So uh, Jacob very much favored Joseph. His brothers were jealous. Uh, they ended up uh, trying to kill him, thinking about killing him, deciding instead to just sell him uh, to some traders who took him down to Egypt, where he was very successful actually, but then got unjustly imprisoned. So we pick up the story now. Joseph has been separated from his family for years. Um, he's down in Egypt in a foreign country, really with no hope of ever seeing his family again, ever getting back to the land that God promised. And he's been stuck in jail unjustly, even though he had done nothing wrong. Um, and even in jail, he has been a blessing to others. Even the keeper of the prison, we saw at the end of chapter 39, just put Joseph in charge of lots of things in the prison because everything he took care of well. So now we're going to pick up the story, Genesis chapter 40, read for a while, and then we will talk about what it means for us. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker, and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. 
there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up, from, lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them spouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that you can, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one could have known they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. 
that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your command consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this story of your servant Joseph, uh, that you were, whom you were with so, so long ago. We pray that just as you were with Joseph then, you would be with us today. Just as this was your word for your people so long ago, this would be your word for us today. Would you take this word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, sink it deep into us, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live, today and in days to come. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, uh, in Avengers Infinity War, uh, so we're, we're, going, we're going Marvel this morning, uh, breaking from, from Lord of the Rings and others, but we're going, we're going to Marvel. And in Avengers Infinity War, the good guys, the heroes, are fighting against the evil Thanos. And there's, this is about these infinity stones that have all this power of the universe. And truthfully, I don't really understand it all that well. You'll have to ask my children for that. But the good guys are fighting the bad guy, I get that. And the bad guy is trying to get these stones. And he's very, very powerful. And it's not looking real good in Infinity War. In fact, it's going to end in the destruction of like half the Earth or something. But there is a scene in Infinity War where Doctor Strange, the great magician, who at this point is carrying the time stone that lets him see things in the future, he pauses and he goes into this trance. And he comes out of it and he says, I have just analyzed 14,605,000 future possibilities for this war. Something like that. 14,605,000. So they look at him. And, and Tony Stark says, how many of them do we win in? And he says, one. One in 14,605,000 possibilities. Fortunately, it's a movie. So of course, you know, they do get the one possibility out of those that they win. But I think that that illustrates for us both the great desire and the great despair of knowledge. What do we want? What do we all want? We want to know what is happening. We want to know when Pharaoh here in Genesis chapter, when first when the Pharaoh's officials and then Pharaoh, when they have these dreams, they, they, they're, not, they're not so much like us. Most of us aren't trying to interpret our dreams, but they, they thought these dreams were significant and they wanted to know, they were troubled. What is going to happen? What does this mean for me? And they wanted to know, and we want to know. We have this deep desire for knowledge. We have a deep desire to figure things out. And sometimes we can even be tempted to think that if we could just be like Dr. Strange, if we could just see all the possible po possibilities, if we could analyze it all, we could figure it out. And we could get ourselves going down the right path. We could do things right if we just 
new. Whether we're talking about future knowledge or even whether we're talking about current knowledge, if we could just analyze the situation right, if we could use tools and technology to figure it all out. And yet we know that so often what happens is our same response when you see 14 million possibilities and little hope of victory. We fall into despair. We fall into despair. And what do we do there? Sometimes it's not because of future possibilities. Sometimes it's because, because of present reality. It's simply because nobody cares. Nobody knows us. Nobody sees us. Nobody remembers us. That's where Joseph was. Joseph had been in prison. And Joseph had been there. And his, his desire, he'd been doing a good job. He had been doing the right thing. And his desire was simply to be remembered. That's what he said to the, to the chief cupbearer. He said, hey, when you get out, just remember me. He didn't really try to manipulate the situation. He just wanted to be remembered. Isn't that so true? What we want is to be known. But, but the chief cupbearer didn't remember, at least not, not for two more years. So what hope is there for us here in Genesis 40 and 41? The, over, the, the hope of Genesis 40, 41 and the overwhelming message, the overwhelming good news of Genesis 40 and 41 is that God sees all. We can't figure out the possibilities. And even here when somebody like Joseph is a pretty good guy, the text makes it clear to us, Joseph himself makes it clear to us that it's not about him. Pharaoh calls him a wise and discerning man, but Joseph is like, no, 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 it's not me. It's God. He tells that, he says that in the prison. When the, when the other prisoners first asked, he says, God, do not interpretations belong to God. That's verse 8. And then he says it again when he comes before Pharaoh. This is his chance to look good. And what does he say? Verse 41, 16. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. When he gives the interpretation, what does he say? He says, this dream happened twice because it is fixed by God. He will certainly bring it about. The overwhelming message, the overwhelming hope that Joseph was clinging to, and the only hope for us this morning is that God sees all. God sees Joseph there in the prison. God sees Pharaoh and his nation. God sees all of that, all of that area, even up to Canaan where Joseph's brothers still were. God sees the future, what's going to happen. God sees it and God does not despair. Because God knows not only what is going to happen, but what he has purposed will happen. He sees the future and he controls the future. And so he knows. So where does that leave us? If our hope is that God sees all, where does that leave us? It leaves us the same place as Joseph. Joseph really is a great model for us here. Because what did Joseph do? He simply served God where he was. Joseph could very easily have given in to despair. He could have given up on life. He could have given in to the temptation to be manipulative. If I were Joseph, I might have cut a deal with the chief cupbearer before I told him the interpretation. Like, come on, man, what are you going to give me? I might have cut a deal with Pharaoh before the interpretation. Like, you're, bring, you're keeping me out of this prison, right? You're not sending me back. You're not cutting off my head here if you don't like what I'm about to say. But he doesn't. Joseph simply says, hey, interpretations belong to God. The future belongs to God. My life belongs to God. And therefore, wherever I find myself, I can serve God in that place. 
That's what's so amazing about Joseph. Whether we saw a couple weeks ago where he's in the house of Potiphar and he's serving there, whether he's in prison, he's bringing blessing there. And now when he becomes set over all of Egypt, he's bringing blessing there. He's preserving light. He's doing good. He's serving God wherever he can. How can he do that? Because he has the confidence that God sees all. Because he knows that God is the one who is really in control. So he doesn't have to figure out all the possibilities. He doesn't have to walk down the path himself. He has to just walk the step that God has put in front of him. So how can we, how can we share that confidence? How can we share that confidence? We see three, if we look deeper into this, if we look deeper into how God sees all, what that all looks like that God sees, we see three specific things here that God sees. First, he sees the future. Second, God sees us. And third, God sees the world. God sees the future, God sees us, and God sees the world. God sees the future, that's kind of the, that's kind of the obvious takeaway here, right? God, there's dreams, and there's interpretation of dreams, and they come from God, and God says exactly what's going to happen, and it's right every time. And so this is, God, God knows, God sees. He has all knowledge to see the future. We'd really like to see the future, wouldn't we? In fact, what, do you know what, what we spend a lot, a lot of time and money trying to predict about the future? About weather. All the way back from the old days of the Farmer's Almanac. They publish, you know, do you know they still publish the Farmer's Almanac? There's still a Farmer's Almanac giving the weather forecast for the next 16 months using a secret formula, apparently in a tin box in Connecticut somewhere, that they have a formula. And they claim it's like 75 to 80% accurate. Other people are skeptical. Um, but even back from the old, the old Farmer's Almanac days to our modern satellites and our super Doppler radars and our Earth orbiting satellites that actually, I mean, in a lot of cases are really pretty good at prediction. Or, or are they, right? Like in objective terms, yeah, we're pretty, we're not bad at predicting the weather, but we all know from personal experience that it doesn't always, you know, all the time we look at our phone and it says that it's sunny and we look outside. And I'm like, but the phone says it's sunny right now. Well, it's actually raining. So, you know, all, all of our technology, all of our efforts, but one does know. Now, I don't understand why God gives us the weather that he does sometimes, but it is a great comfort to know that he knows. And that, that, that it is good. There's, there's nothing wrong with trying to predict the weather. That's God has given us these tools and these gifts, and we should. Uh, it, you know, we actually save tons and tons of money and protect lots and lots of life by good forecasts of hurricanes and that kind of thing. But we do that with the knowledge that God sees it all. And that gives us a humility in that, a humility about our plans to say that as we go about our plans, we, we can plan things and we can look at forecasts and we can think about what's going to be most likely, but we trust that God is the one who is controlling. And those plans may change. They may not work like we were expecting, but it'll be good. It'll work out. It'll, God will be with us in that. You know, we, there was a particular time with the weather. Those of you who've been around for a while know that I'm, I've had a lot of experiences with weather. The very first summer camp we did, the very first summer camp we did was at Red Wing Park, a one-week, half-day sports camp. Uh, this was back in 2018. There was no church. There was just a handful of people. Um, I mean, of the people here, I think, I think, I think the, the Griffins and the Saunders were here. That was about, 
Maybe, maybe joy. Um, that, was, that was about it back, back at that time. But, um, but we was like, hey, we can do this camp. We had a church out, out from Chesapeake who was going to help us out. And so we get, we get about 35 kids to register and show up at Red Wing Park. And that Monday, I don't remember whether it was in the forecast or not, to be honest, but it just poured rain Monday morning. And truthfully, like, there's some sense if we had kind of really known that, maybe we would have done something different. Maybe we would say, hey, we're going to start on Tuesday. We're going to start the camp next week. But let me tell you that those kids had the best time in the rain. And it was a memorable, Zach disagrees, you had a good time. It was a memorable start to our, our summer's best two-week sports camp here in Virginia Beach as they ran and they dove in mud puddles and they slid across the field because we just did what was in front of us. And, it, and we, couldn't, we can't figure everything out. And if we could figure everything out, it would despair. But somebody knows. God knows. And so we can walk with confidence that if God knows the future and God has commanded us to obey him and we walk in obedience, it's going to work out. Second thing here, even more significant, is that God sees us. See, the, the, the killer line here is chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph had been forgotten. And then the very next verse, after two whole years, that was not like forgot him and then like remember it a week later. Like, oh yeah, Pharaoh, get this guy out of prison. No, he forgot. Joseph was just stuck in prison. And lest we think that, oh, it was pretty good there. You know, he had the favor of the guard and he was in charge of things. When Pharaoh does call him out, he, they bring him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, Pharaoh was, Joseph was not having a good time in prison. He had been forgotten there. It was not good. But he had not been forgotten by God. That is the message for us in Genesis 40 and 41, is that God did not forget Pharaoh. Or God did not forget Joseph. And God did not forget us, does not forget us. God sees us. Wherever we are, whatever circumstances we're in, no matter how frustrated we are, no matter how despairing we are, no matter how much things just aren't working the way that we think God should work them out, God sees us. You know how if you're, if you're at a big, at a party or some other big gathering of people and there's lots of conversation going on and yet across the room, someone says your name and you're like, I heard my name. Like you can hear your name from across the room, even in the midst, you might not hear anything else, but as soon as you hear your name, you know, and you're looking at them like, what are they talking about me? And in the same way that we hear our own names across the room, even in the cacophony and the mess of this world, God too hears each of our names. And he looks and he's looking at us and he sees us and he knows that we're there. He knows it because his love for us is that great and that deep because he made each one of us. And so he knows where we are. He sees us in the midst of it. He's not just some far off God, but he knows and sees each one of us. What comfort is that? What do we want when we're going through hard times? We don't always want to know the future. It doesn't always look good. We don't always want solutions because we can't always work them out. And if we think we can, we're probably kidding ourselves. But what do we want in hard times? We want somebody to be there with us. We want somebody to come and sit with us, to stand with us to hold our hand, to listen to us. And we can know that even when people forget, 
Even when family members forget, even when churches forget, God does not forget. God sees each one of us, wherever we are, whatever we're going through. But what for? That's great. It's great to have that comfort that God sees each one of us. But where, where is, what does he do with us then once he sees us? See, the other thing here in Genesis 40 and 41 is that God sees the world. This is not just about Joseph and God caring for Joseph and God rescuing Joseph. It is that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Because God brought Joseph out of the pit. God brought Joseph out of prison. God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dreams, not just so that Joseph could have nice clothes and a chariot and, and a family in Egypt and all, but God did that for the blessing of Egypt. This was the call that he had given to Abraham, the promise and the calling. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And here in the story of Joseph, we see that lived out in full color. That Joseph has been put down in Egypt through difficult circumstances, through evil actions. And yet there God has blessed him and brought him to be head of the country. Why? So that he can be a blessing for the world. So that he can save the land of Egypt. Egypt had no way to know to store up their grain. Life is good. The cows are fat. The land is producing. Let's eat and be merry. No idea that not just one, but seven years of famine are coming. And yet, with Joseph in charge, they stored it up. And we'll see in the coming chapters that it worked. That through that, God rescued not only Egypt and preserved Egypt, but much of the rest of the world as well because there was grain and food in Egypt, because God sees the world. God sees the future, God sees us, God sees the world. What is he doing with that? We say God sees the world, what does that make you think? It should make you think of something that comes a little bit later. Most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. So, that, so God sees the world. So where does that tie in with Joseph? Just as Joseph came, was brought down to Egypt through suffering, to be blessed there and to become a blessing for the world. So too Jesus came as the ultimate expression of how God sees us. God sees us as not just an ear from across the room, not just an eye, with a telescope, but God seeing us was to come down to earth in the flesh, that he might live and dwell among us. God came and sat with us. God came and experienced suffering with us. And God could set all these things of this family line of Jake, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob throughout the Old Testament because he saw the future and he knew where this is coming, going. We'll see in a few chapters that Jacob even predicts it. He predicts the coming of a king. The coming of a king who would ultimately save the world. That God saw this future. He saw us. Jesus came down to live among us. To make that seem tangible. That we might be blessed. That we might be known. That we might then be used as the way that God brings blessing to the world. For if Jesus was the salvation for the world for all who believe in him. The way that salvation, the way that blessing is worked out in this world is through his people, through his church. That as we walk in the freedom that comes from knowing that God sees us, that God has us, 
and we walk in obedience, we can go and bring blessing to those around us. We can serve, we can sacrifice, we can forgive, we can love, we can pour ourselves out for others, knowing that God sees us, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God is working all these things together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your care for Joseph. We thank you for the ways you use Joseph to bring blessing to the world. We pray that you would see us as you promise, that we would know your eye and your care and your ear for us, that we would take comfort in your love, that we would put our faith in you, and that we would walk before you in obedience to bring blessing to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.